0: Hello. The ultimate demise of the printed word has been predicted almost from the day that William Caxton's press first ground into life in the year 1476. Yet despite our monumental technological advancements since his mechanical whirling dervish, I notice books are still around in some abundance, not least in my local hay on actually known as the town of books, and which seems to be fashioned entirely around the things. Nevertheless, it is indisputable that the act of writing has changed enormously in the interim, especially in its modes of expression. I don't think I'm yet at an age when the dust is accruing in the craggy recesses, but it still seems like only last week, it was in fact over 40 years ago, that I put my biro to one side and acquired a state-of-the-art electric typewriter. Gosh. But my word, am I showing my age now when I ask whatever happened to all those manufacturers of carbon paper? Carbon paper? I hear anyone below a certain age ask. Yes, you put it between two sheets of paper and strike a typewriter key under the top one so the carbon makes a copy on the second one and if you make a mistake, you can always blank it out with white liquid that you brush on. Hold on, hold on. Blank it out with white liquid. Oh, never mind. As for voice recognition software, now de rigueur even on my mobile phone. Well, that was still the stuff of Dan Deere Comics. Uh, dandy. Oh, I give up. Yet as I tap languorously on my modern computer keyboard, I admit to a wistful indulgence when I consider that I might instead make the additional effort to correspond with a special friend or for a celebratory occasion by applying my fountain pen onto bonded script paper that I then dry on a blotter before carefully sliding it into an envelope in readiness for the comfortingly traditional snail mail and I suspect I am not alone in feeling that little charge of excitement when my own postbox yields the similar fruits of someone else's labours extended in my direction, and I get a written letter. Despite our digital mastery, there is, and always will be, something charmingly idiosyncratic about receiving correspondence from someone who has broken out of their algorithmic comfort zone to create a communique that exudes such an impress of personalization. In stark contrast, more modern practices, and the rise in online blogging in particular, something unimaginable only a few years ago, have given impetus to the listicle, a short form of expression that uses a list as its structure, but is fleshed out with sufficient copy to be published as an article. Listicles are the equivalent of that black stuff you may or may not spread on your toast in the morning. Some read them avidly, whilst others find them little more than texture or candy floss. I make no observations either way, but purely in the interests of research, you understand, I recently looked at a listicle rating 250 of our top UK comedians of all time. Tap that one into your browser. It may surprise you as much as it did me. With the exception of Charlie Chaplin, who came in at number 19, I was scrolling into the 60s before I came across anyone not associated with the digital age. Sid James, as it happens, uh, the names, understandably, very constantly as new talents emerge, but it's still somewhat disheartening to find once-great characters hanging on by their fingernails down amongst the also runs Even sadder, the names of former legends such as Will Hay, Stanley Holloway, Rob Wilton, Arthur Askey, seem to have dropped completely off the radar. Now, more locally, in the year before Dudley's own Sir Lenny Henry, heard of him? commenced his fledgling career with a win on New Faces in 1975. A comedian at the height of his career appeared at the Royal Variety Performance, where he reduced the Queen Mother to tears of laughter. His name was Billy Dainty, also a Dudley lad. Remember him? Hmm, i thought as much. It's not just a black country phenomenon, and as I look toward the horizon, I can fair guarantee there'll be no singing in the valleys at the news that Welsh legend Max Boyce doesn't even crop up on a sight search. Yes, indeed. Fame is a fickle and transitory mistress. And it doesn't end with our local comedians. Let us not forget our region's preeminence in other fields such as sport. In an era in which we at last celebrate a UK tennis champion, what room is there to applaud one of our own from former years? Dorothy Round won the Wimbledon Singles in 1934 and 1937 and the Australian Open in 1935. Born in Dudley, which in this context appears to be a breeding ground for such talent, she attended Dudley Girls High School. There's a bronze statue of her made by John McKenna in Priory Park, but Dudley's Ms Round is surely otherwise never destined to share the same celebrity as Scotland's Mr Murray. Of course, the marginalising of our champions can't all be blamed on the digital revolution, but the dominance of those rating high in the public consciousness who have arisen since that time offers a compelling correlation. Yet there is something of a dichotomy here, insomuch that it may be that the same digital age, with judicious use, may help us preserve our own heritage for posterity and save his contemporary idols from avoiding a similar fate of obscurity. This is no exercise in lame listicles, and in fact it could be argued to actually be part of our civic duty. Now a statement of that magnitude merits justification. So here's mine. I have met many glassmakers, few of whom would take too much exception to me describing them as being beyond the first flush of youth, but every single one of whom offers a direct lineage back to the days when Starbridge Glass reigned supreme. This is the power of living testimony, a mere couple of which weighs far heavier than any amount of recorded data or archive ever can. But let us extend our gaze across the region to also consider the iron makers, coal miners, chain forgers, enamelers, saddlers, locksmiths, nail makers, and numerous other specialist practitioners, many of whom are still amongst us to share their stories. Such a vibrant legacy, surely demands our fullest efforts in preserving it, the listicle to end all listicles, whilst we still have the sands of time in our grasp to do so. To ignore this opportunity will be folly on the grandest scale, the inevitable consequence of which will be an outpouring of unmitigated regret when it's all too late. Hence I'm reassured to a degree by the various initiatives in recent years, to record such memories, and I declare an interest here in so much that I've had a modest involvement in the collation of one or two of them, so I know that out there. A trawl through the internet, now there's a thing, will reveal your own nearest archives of these treasures of the future. It's all most encouraging, but much is never enough, and when it comes to preserving our black country culture, and in turn our very identity, there is always room for more. The preservation of heritage involves a carrying of the torch as well as the fanning of the embers. It's an unending progression that's rather like a crescendo, lies in the perpetuation of the act rather than the reaching of a conclusion. And in preserving our roots while simultaneously securing our future, it is an obligation that should be nurtured by us all. The vagaries of scheduling mean that this will be my last broadcast before Christmas, or whatever festival it is you may celebrate at this time. Might I thus be amongst the first to wish you a very merry one, and perhaps impose on you to dedicate just a small part of your New Year's resolution to remembering those to whom we owe so much in making this region unique. And owe them we do, for, in a paraphrase of Sir Isaac Newton, if we can now see further, it is because we are standing on the shoulders of giants. Enjoy your black country, and do join me again soon for more tales from the barn.